DACA, ITIN, first time home buyer or want to invest? Embar Mendez is a bilingual agent with Remax Real Estate Results, ready to help you. Call or text her today to talk about buying or selling property at 479-879-3398. Hey everybody, welcome back to the District 3 Podcast. Uh, my name is Manny. And my name is Irvin. This is actually episode 66 of the District 3 Podcast. And we have an important, educational, informative, and just overall, just I guess, important episode today. Yeah. As, you, as many of you all may know, this month is actually Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. And uh, as you all may, may know from our past episodes, we take mental health seriously. And we want to make sure that we keep people educated on things that are happening in society um, that affect millions and uh, suicide prevention, mental illnesses are is something that affects millions of people, yeah. uh, whether it being personal or a family member or a friend or just someone you know in the community. Um, so today we actually have someone who is an advocate um, and uh, she actually is a vicar. I think I pronounced that correctly at <laughs> All Saints Episcopal Church in Bentonville. Sarah Milford, thank you for joining us this week. Thanks for having me. Mother Sarah, I'm, I'm glad you're here so that you can kind of explain what a vicar is. <laughs> um, you know, the, overall, because this is the first time I've ever heard of a vicar. Uh, so can you maybe just educate me real quick? <laughs> well, we talked about this off air, but I feel yeah. like it's still important for her to be on the air. Yeah, well, that. church politics is, I know, everybody's favorite thing. But as somebody who's <laughs> been through seminary, I can geek out a little well, bit. Well, we're, we're a politics <laughs> at every level on this show, so go for it, buddy. Well, so. talking about, like, church structure. Um, yeah. So the diocese is, like, you know, the state organization for it, for it and it breaks down into convocations. And in the convocations is where the, the parishes and the missions are of the church. And mm-hmm. so a parish is just going to be a little more independent. And so the, um, the priest in charge of a parish is the rector, and that's who the vestry calls. Well, the missions of the church are under the bishop's jurisdiction. And so the vicar is the one who is the vicarious representative of the bishop mm-hmm. in, in the mission. So even though missions will have like a parish council, or we'll often call it a vestry, mm-hmm. um, the, the the vestry or parish council doesn't call the um, the priest of the mission, the, the vicar appoints. So I've been appointed by the bishop to be the vicar of All Saints Total Santos. I feel like we need a pop quiz after that, you know, just to kind of make sure, just make sure we understand. How much of that did you get, Irvin? I know, I know that she was appointed by the bishop, and to be appointed at any position yep. is awesome. Yeah. And uh, I love to see that women are, are having those leading roles. Um, yeah. So thank that's, you so much. That's for one of the things mother. that I find super interesting because, I mean, yeah. I've seen you around the community and stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I've always wondered what your title was. Yeah. You know, and I guess I should have asked, but I was like, it's you're coming to the podcast <laughs> anyway, so I might as well yeah. just ask you here. Get it uh, all out. Yeah, actually, there are only, um, I think, the, um, the cathedral in Arkansas for the Episcopal Church is Trinity Cathedral in Little Rock, and they just um, hired their new dean, and it's actually a female. Wow. Okay. And she had a big, great profile in the Democrat Gazette, and the bishop pointed out that there are only, I think he said six, women in charge of um, congregations in the whole diocese. And so there are about 60 churches in the Diocese of Arkansas for the Episcopal Church. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, six out of 60 isn't a whole lot. Mm, right. That's, <laughs> but yeah. there's still, you know, a lot of room for improvement. So right? do you all have a uh, service? Is that what it's called? Mm-hmm. I, I always get in fights with my wife about this because I always say, like, even if it's not, like, a Catholic thing, I say, you know, let's go to Mass. 
Yeah, she's like, it's people, not mass. Yeah. I'm like, but there's a mass of people going to the service. So isn't that, doesn't that, doesn't that work Is that out? why it's called yeah. mass? It's called service, like service. I mean, if it's Catholic, like, yeah. yeah, you go to mass. Is it because it's a mass of people? I think so. Well, I, I think so. I don't remember. Forgive me for my... <laughs> I'm probably not the doing justice for my seminary. The things we worry about. The things we keep us up right now. <laughs> but a lot of people say, you know, are we having mass? Are we having the mesa? You know, so we... Mm-hmm. And it's bilingual, right? The the All Saints Episcopal. Yeah. So we have um, Padre Guillermo Castillo is the um, well, he was like associate vicar, but now he actually works under the bishop. So he's the missioner for Hispanic ministry in okay. Northwest Arkansas. So he has a service um, at Todos los Santos at San Andres, and um, there will be one at San Tomas. I just um, recently saw him uh, giving, uh, well, being the actual person that officiates a wedding like uh-huh. about three weeks ago. Yeah. And I know that he's done a lot of work with. Uh, workers' rights. I've seen him at a lot yeah. of workers' rights events throughout the past few years. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that you're also involved with is the uh, Sanctuary Network. Yeah. And I know you, uh, uh, Pastor Clint Schnickloff, mm-hmm. and other folks. Can mm-hmm. you talk a little bit about that? Of how how you started getting involved with that, and and uh, what the goal is of the <laughs> of the network? Um, well, it's still it's a very organic process. Those are all grassroots things. But um, Pastor Clint, pretty much with the civic imagination. Um, you know, like imagining what we want for our area and, um, you know, wrestling with ICE and 287G, we um, doing more research about the sanctuaries that are provided throughout the country. How do we do that more here? And, you know, are we able to provide physical sanctuary? You know, what does it look like in different ways? And so the Northwest Arkansas New Sanctuary Network is what we have, and you can go to nwasanctuary.org and you can become a supporter, an individual supporter is like 10 bucks um, for a year. And you can say, I support this network. Um, 25 bucks for an organization. So like All Saints, Tosa Santos is a, a partnering organization. And that doesn't mean that I have to provide physical sanctuary at All Saints. Um, there are two um, churches who do provide physical sanctuary or are willing to. Um, but what we've figured out, and especially what the pandemic has brought out, is that sanctuary doesn't just mean physical safety. Um, a lot of financial security mm-hmm. and, and yeah. that's stability and sanctuary for our families. And so um, since March, I don't know how many thousands of dollars that like the, the people who you know are partnered with the Sanctuary Network have helped out not only the Hispanic community, but also the Marshallese. Mm-hmm. Um, and then let alone what we've continued to do you know, at the individual churches and, and things. So it's all about speaking out to advocate for those who are affected, um, particularly by immigration policies. Um, but you know, just being good neighbors is what, providing yeah. sanctuary so that Northwest Arkansas can truly be open and welcoming to to everyone. I mean, it's it, and it's completely like a neighborly thing. I mean, that's like when you talk about the grassroots efforts that mm-hmm. I think a lot of people in the community have tried to do. It's just mm-hmm. like, hey, I'm I want to help you because mm-hmm. we live together, we grow together. Like this, mm-hmm. obviously, nobody really, nobody else is really doing this work. Yeah, um, and that's why it's so needed. At, you know. I, I don't know if you know, brother, but I, I had a project to try to raise some funds to do some of those things as well. Mm-hmm. And I had the privilege of helping some people, you know, just mm-hmm. make economic payments. But it's not enough. I mean, mm-hmm. and that's what hurts the most. Um, and that's why, like, having a continued effort like the ones that you guys have at, at the Sanctuary Network is so important. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you might be able to help somebody, like, one month, mm-hmm. two months. But, like, this is going on, especially because of the pandemic. I mean, yeah. people are so economically impacted um and it ties with and i know we're talking like this episode supposed to be like about mental health but it it does all these issues do tie with people's mental health you know mm -hmm. i know folks who 
who just have that fear of all time not knowing, you know, if they're going to be separated from their family, you know, what even parents, what they're going to do if they're if they get separated and their kids are still there, like what kind of sanctuary will be provided. Mm-hmm. So um, having people within our community who are there as allies or I like to say accomplices instead mm-hmm. of allies, yeah. um, mm-hmm. being there to have their back and to show, hey, you have a place in case things go down. Uh, I think it's super important. So yeah. I appreciate you and everybody else who's involved yeah. with this network. I think I was at the at one of the meetings that was, I don't know if it was a meeting, but it was done at the uh, Mount Sequoia quite uh-huh. a few months back. And there, there were several people that were involved right, with yeah. the network there. And it was mm-hmm. just really cool to see, because mm-hmm. uh, I know several people that are affected that are undocumented or on DACA were there. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I know that them seeing, you know, specifically white people mm-hmm. being there to support them is, is a big deal. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult whenever you're you're trying to advocate for your own people, but you're still in a minority. Yeah. You know, and that's why having, like you say, accomplices Mm -hmm. in these things are so important Mm -hmm. because we need to be able to advocate for each other, you know, regardless of any division of culture, um, because we're a community. Yeah. And and to come together like that, you have to be able to to cross any kind of culture line. Definitely, definitely. And. And uh, Sarah, how are you originally from here, from Arkansas? I am. Okay. I, uh, I actually grew up in Bentonville, K through oh. twelve. I was born at the old St. Mary's Hospital. It's now the you know Rogers Center for Nonprofits. Yeah. I was born there. My brother was born at Bates Hospital when Bates was a hospital in Bentonville. It's now okay. like where the Decision Point, or okay. whatever it is now. I can't remember. Quapaw um, Health, I think, is what it was. And I'm mm. not sure if they're still open. But anyway, that used to be the Bates Hospital, and. So, yeah, I'm a 96 graduate of BHS. Okay. I don't think I've heard of anybody, like, being from Benville and staying in Benville. <laughs> oh, I took a 20-year a hiatus. I don't mean that in any <laughs> okay. offensive way. I'm just, so she oh, left. Oh, she so left. left a little bit. Where'd she you left. go? Uh, well, you know, we went all the way. Um, my husband and I both, um, we were in high school. We got together when I was a senior and he was a junior. High school so, sweethearts? Okay. Yes. Yeah, we've been married for 22 years now. <laughs> wow, congratulations. Yeah, That's thanks, awesome. Thanks. Four kids, 22 years later, we're, we're rocking and rolling. Mm. And um, so we graduated. I went to Hendricks. He went to UCA. Mm-hmm. So we were down in Conway. Mm-hmm. And he worked there and we lived there. And then, um, you know, just got that feeling that we needed to move back to Northwest Arkansas. And growing up in Bentonville, well, of course, we weren't going to move back to Bentonville because, you know, that's too corporate. We're yeah. going to move to Fayetteville because mm-hmm. that's more our lifestyle. And so we moved back to Fayetteville and um and lived and that was in 2005 mm-hmm. and until 2012 which is you know in about 2009 i started going through discernment and so saint paul's in fayetteville was actually my sending parish and okay. big shout out to saint paul's for they're like the fiduciary umbrella for the sanctuary network yeah. and the ones who this i think springdale school district reached out to them to think about you know what if there is a raid yeah. and what do we do for our students and yeah. how do we shout provide out a safe springdale space school district because they're always yeah. thinking about that <laughs> yeah right. taking out. care of the kids yeah um so St. Paul's is my sending parish, and um, so in 2012, um, husband, four kids, we moved on to Sewanee, Tennessee, so I did seminary in Sewanee at the University of the South School of Theology. 2012 to 2015, um, the bishop um, appointed me to as curate at St. Luke's um, Episcopal Church down in Hot Springs, on, just right off of Central Avenue, right off of Bath House Road. Oh, wow. And so I got to serve in Hot Springs for two years, which was great, because yeah. it's like right there and I don't know if you know this about hot springs but you know it's all tourist town for mm-hmm. you know come live the glory days of you know the the bathhouse road but there's a lot of transient mm. and a lot of drugs um well that was part of it it's like the tourism and the money you had a right. lot of you know 
for those that don't know about hot springs it, it there's very much like a glorification of like there's the mobster culture they used to say like al capone, al capone. Uh -huh. would go to hot springs so like yes that's that's kind of cool to go there it's too. a cool thing to say but like obviously mobsters are were supposedly uh allegedly i mean <laughs> they were they <laughs> involved in illegal things yeah. and, and so yeah so a, a lot of trafficking drugs um yeah. illegal ways of making money yeah and um and i think that even though i'm arkansas native had lived here for forever i had never been somewhere that was so openly um segregated um, so polarized between the rich and the poor mm. and um, and so that was really just kind of an eye-opening mm. thing for me to be that close to um, to people who were addicts to people who were homeless mm. to um, that's where I first like got more involved in the NAACP because I had an invitation to come and join you know like and listen to and um, folks from the black neighbor part the neighborhood there and um, and hear the advocacy work that they were doing and um, it was just really a tremendous experience. And then um, when All Saints, the kind of the church planter for All Saints was Roger, Roger Joslin. And so he started All Saints in 2007. And so it was 2017 when he was, you know, discerning a different call. Um, I think family has a strong pool. So mm, <laughs> he, yeah. he moved away and um, the bishop asked if I would consider coming back to Northwest Arkansas. Wow. It's kind of like, is that a trick question? You know? <laughs> because like, like this is yeah. you know, 2012 to 2019. Mm -hmm. um, and, and really, you know, I left at Bentonville in 96. And so, you know, wow. between 96 and 2019, you know, Bentonville's changed a lot. So I'm, I'm curious what, I mean, you went to Hendrix. Yes. When did you go to seminary? 2012. So what, what, <laughs> I mean, what was that thing that made you like, hey, I, I have to serve people. I, I need to take this different level of transition in yeah. my life what what led that <laughs> well I have four children yeah and so and I started having children when I was in college still so you know um I was blessed to be able to be a full-time mom for like 12 years mm -hmm. and so best preparation for any kind of vocational call is to be a mom full-time right? <laughs> right, <laughs> so right so shout out to all the moms out shout there out for sure um and then when we um moved into um into Fayetteville um and started going to St. Paul's and just increasingly started to do more volunteerism yeah. um, with them, um, working in probably just about every ministry that they offered from women's spirituality to um, they have a great prison ministry. Um, they have a healing touch ministry and, you know, helping out with the kids in the godly play. So like the Sunday school. And so it just kind of got to be to where like every day I was volunteering in some mm. way <laughs> through, mm. through the church. Um, I was also a, a doula, which is like emotional labor support for moms in labor. Oh. And so I was doing that and and some people were starting to think, well, are you called to be a midwife? Like, do you want to apprentice? You mm -hmm. know, and I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be responsible for like the true health and well-being of the mom and baby. Yeah, I'll be yeah. there all day long I'll help to support, yeah, but yeah. I'm not going to be medically responsible. But um, so it's interesting. I get to midwife in a spiritual way. Yeah. I didn't want to do the physical. I knew with clarity I didn't want to do the physical. But um, some really great friends and a community at St. Paul's to help me discern. That's so cool. Yeah. That's so cool. We're going to take a quick music break and we'll be right back to talk more about uh, mental health awareness and about suicide prevention awareness um, since this is the month to do so, but we should be doing it every month. Um, but we're going to take a quick music break. We're going to play something by Randy Trevino. What's the song called, Manny? Me Escuchas. We'll be right back after this quick music break.
Me escuchas cuando oro, estás atento a mi clamor Conoces mi necesidad antes de pedir Tú cuidas las aves del cielo, los lirios del campo Confiado estoy que cuidarás también de mí Ya no me voy a preocupar ni me tendré que afanar Pues mi vida en tus manos está
Randy Trevino, and the song name is Me Escuchas. Um, I actually met Randy at a event when we were organizing the Springdale Peace Walk for the first year. Um, he led the prayer, and I've seen him around the community. So Randy, who is listening right now, who told me he's listening, um, hope you enjoyed being able to hear your song on the radio, which is a really beautiful song. So thank you for uh, for writing that and for performing it. And uh, we're back on the District 3 podcast with uh, Vicar Sarah Milford from the All Saints Episcopal Church. Um, and one of the reasons, one of the main reasons that we, that we brought you today, Sarah, is to talk about uh, mental health awareness and to talk about suicide prevention, since I know that you're a big advocate. Can you talk a little bit about your journey to becoming an advocate for mental health? Well, I think... Like in all things, we kind of are, I'm projecting. So I often just stumble into things. I just show up and, and do the next do the next thing. And I don't know, I'm sure there's probably lots of things in my life that I went back and talked to my counselor about, you know, mm-hmm. like what, why I do what I do. I'm sure we could find the patterns and the reasons why, but, um, but I will just start thinking about, you know, origin stories. And um, when I was like four, four and a half, uh, my biological father committed suicide or died by suicide. And so that kind of has always been with me. And I just take it as it's a reality of life that, that I've always lived with. But I didn't really think about how much um, that made me a quote unquote survivor. Um, working with the, you know, Moms Demand Action and thinking about gun violence, my father died by gun that's the, the means of, of death that he chose. And so thinking about being a gun violence survivor was mm-hmm. new to me in 2017, 2018, um, whenever I started to kind of put some things together. Um, how we process things is so crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but, and that's why, you know, everybody needs a counselor. Everybody needs a therapist to, like, process all the stuff that we're dealing with. Um, when I came to All Saints, um, the Out of Darkness Walk, came up, the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, AFSP.org, has tremendous resources for um, mental health awareness, but especially for 
um, suicide awareness and mm -hmm. prevention. And so they had this out of darkness walk and they were asking if we wanted to be a sponsor as a church. And I, I jumped at it because like, here's a chance for a church to sponsor something that has to do with suicide awareness. Yeah. When I know like a lot of religious traditions might either look away or pretend like it doesn't happen or it's keep it very hush hush. Yeah, the social stigma around, you know, suicide is, is um, pretty crazy when we think about, I mean, like I'm looking at this, I pulled up on my iPad, suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in the U.S. Wow. And in, in Arkansas, I think it's even smaller than that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so this is a, a reality that we can choose to look away from, but it doesn't cha change the fact that it's present. Um, even at, you know, like the governor's coronavirus briefings the other day, um, they're like, well, what are these other causes of death? Like the, the person died, and but they test positive, but there's it's not, they didn't die from coronavirus. Yeah, co comorbidities. Yeah, but they said that it was like if somebody died from um, a car wreck or suicide. Mm -hmm. So like if, if they died by a, another means, but they happened to also test positive. And so this is not just, you know, like, once in a great while it's like every day yeah and especially if you think about it says in 2018 1.4 million people attempted suicide mm -hmm. and so can we sponsor you know an out of darkness walk which if you've never been to one um this year it's virtual of course because of the pandemic on um actually saturday this coming is this the October one that 3rd. happened at the park next to crystal bridges orchard park okay yeah. I, I went to it like two years ago yeah so people can like form teams i think jb hunt has a huge team they usually win the fundraiser so it's to raise money i think the goal for this year is like sixty thousand dollars or something and they've already raised for and this is just for the northwest arkansas chapter yeah and um and so people can walk in honor of their loved ones who have died. Mm -hmm. And so people will write names on the chalkboard and put up pictures so yeah. they can walk. And they have beads, you know, kind of like the Mardi Gras beads yeah. that are different colors representing like if you've lost a parent, a child, a friend, a relative, mm -hmm. you know, or if you've attempted yourself. Mm -hmm. And so it's just kind of showing that you're not alone. And mm -hmm. so that whole, you know, metaphor of coming out of the darkness, like often depression is like, you know, this pit of despair and darkness mm -hmm. and it's like let's come out of that and let's bring things to the light and how so do you um i come i guess coming from like a spiritual approach of mm -hmm. it um what kind of words do you give to people who you know like have the mindset of you know wanting to hurt themselves mm -hmm. or or just in general or just you know wanting to die by suicide okay. what are some of the kind of like uh, i guess i don't want to say generic but what are some of like the, the basic stuff that you talk to them about uh, if you have had anybody that's approached you with with that information that you, personal information you know actually since i've been a, a priest i have and even before then i haven't had very many people come to me when they um, are on the front side it's usually after they've already you know made attempts or something like that mm. um so in conversation it's like you know we always think is what to say after mm. after the fact but but when we're in conversation with people it's mostly just looking at them and being present yeah. to them and seeing them and then reminding them of their value, of their mm. belovedness. Like you are loved and you are in relationship with so many people and how can those people that you're in relationship with, be it God or others or family or friends or whomever, um, how can we be present to you and provide you know, that, that net, that support that can help you know, bring, you, bring you out of that despair. Yeah. You know, and and rem rem you know, remember just how valuable you are, how worthy you are of this life and how much you contribute and bring to all of us and the, from others that I've talked to you know to, to make that decision we can rationalize anything 
and especially if our, we're rationalizing in our head and it seems like the only way out, I mean, you, we, we know from just conversation in general with people, once people, somebody's mind's made up and they've made an emotional commitment, mm. it's really hard to talk yeah. somebody out of that. But to be present enough and be alongside one of the most um, powerful interventions that you can provide for somebody is just to ask them, have mm. you considered suicide? And if they say yes, it's like, have you thought about what your plan of action is? Like, how mm -hmm. are you going to do it? If they've thought long enough to think about how they're going to do it and when they're going to do it, you know, like the means of it, then they, they really need to be like on constant watch. Somebody needs to be with them. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, you know, as, as a priest, I'm a mandated reporter. So if somebody told me that they were, you know, actively considering and contemplating and planning on doing it, I would have to report that. Yeah. Um, but you reported too. Um, I could call it depending on you know what the emergency was. You know, like, okay. do I call nine one one? Do I call the police? Do I call Family. an ambulance? You know, like what? What do I call? Because it's a it's a mental health intervention. Yeah. yeah. Right. And and so usually my experience, at least with people suffering from addiction, which is kind of a different kind of death, you yeah. know, at your own mm -hmm. hand, um, is that somebody has to go to the ER before they can be transferred to a mental health institution. Mm -hmm. And and so you know would be last resource to just call the cops <laughs> to yeah, come and right. show up because we know they're, they've got other things to deal with and we want to keep people safe. And sometimes they don't have the proper training, so it's right, like, right. you know. Yeah, and so, um, yeah, those are hard things to, to think about and to know how many people struggle with that. And and it's hard if it's your own family member or your own best friend. Mm -hmm. um, it's You don't always recognize it, and then there's that yeah. guilt, that the survivor guilt from people who are like, well, why didn't we see you? Why didn't we know? And, you know, it's all up to us what we talk about and what we share with others. So when does it click with you? Because I know it took a while for, for me to, like, experience things with loved ones mm -hmm. to fully, un not fully, but, like, to get a good grasp as to what a mental illness is. Mm -hmm. And um, when do you feel that you grasp, grasp that? Is that something that you personally experienced? Mm -hmm. or or Because uh, I know that it just, for me, it was just, like, two years ago, and I'm 28 yeah. years old. Um, I'm trying to think about... maybe it, I don't I don't know when it kind of because for me it wasn't just like a click into place it was just kind of like puzzle pieces coming together gradually mm -hmm. over time and so by the time that I was going into seminary in 2012 I like I had already spoken with people who had um, and were, were already wrestling with anxiety mm -hmm. and already dealing with depression and probably even before that like from my own biological father's um, mental health it's like he probably was depressed and, and, mm -hmm. and clinically depressed, yeah. you know, to, to like a lot of people are. And so there's usually a lot of factors that come into play if somebody actually, you know, dies by suicide. Um, depression is a big one of those. And then access to firearms is, is another big one too. Yeah. Um, and being male and in a certain age range, you know, like mm -hmm. increases your, um, yeah. the likelihood if that's something you decide to do. Um, so I kind of already had on my on my radar depression, and then from friends anxiety, and then it's crazy to think about now, 2020 being what it is. Mm -hmm. um, a friend who's a pharmacist said that anxiety and antidepressants are like the, the leading pharmaceuticals that mm -hmm. are that are leading the pharmacy. So like, I I just presume that everybody I encounter is either depressed or anxious, mm -hmm. if not just you know low level you know clinically yeah yeah wow that's actually that's a 
I mean, I don't know if it's a good way to look at it necessarily. I don't know that's a good thing. But, I mean, I think that's really insightful for me is to expect that if everybody hasn't isn't currently living in it right now, maybe it was last week, maybe it was last month, maybe it was last year, mm-hmm. and has some kind of level of anxiety or, or depression that they might have experienced. I think right now so many people have experienced almost like a seasonal depression because of our yeah. lack of – I mean – Irvin, you know me, mother, you don't know me, but I'm a very social person. And I think, you know, during the pandemic, I definitely felt a a level of uh, depression from Mm -hmm. all the self-isolation and people just being like, not getting to to be with each other. I was just like, this isn't how the world's meant to be, (laughs) you know? Um, So, yeah, I mean, that's that's a really insightful way to to look at things because we all do experience it. And it's it's a normal thing to experience, right? I mean, it, it's it's a feeling that we have. It's human nature. And I relate so much to what you said about uh, you thinking to yourself, like, years afterwards, like, maybe my father was depressed, mm-hmm. right? Because my father actually passed away from substance abuse, mm-hmm. right? And, and it wasn't until, like, last year when I was like, wait a minute, like, what else was he doing? You know, my mom would tell me, oh, he was also taking these pills, mm-hmm. you know, and he... He was disabled so he couldn't work and he was depressed about that i'm like whoa like i i didn't know when i was like 14 or 13 what my father was experiencing right it's like we at that moment since we're so young we don't even and uneducated on mental health and and mental illnesses and everything but now it's like whoa you know like we have to do something about this specifically in latinx families like we don't even when i I started talking to my family about mental illnesses like three years ago at the beginning it was still kind of like you know, pe- people in Latinx families usually say, oh, this person's crazy. Oh, don't hang out with this person. They're crazy. But no, they got schizophrenia. You know, it's like, no, they got uh, multiple personality disorders. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of things that people experience and they just get labeled as, as crazy or get shunned from our families and our communities, which is very unfortunate. I think that's why and I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but <laughs> that's what we have to be outspoken about uh, mental health, you yeah. know. And uh, yeah, I think it's important to also like at least recognize the level of you know there's survivor guilt but there's also just like friendship anxiety like do i need to ask about this like am i the right person to ask about this and also just like addressing that stigma that Mm -hmm. like you don't you don't necessarily have to be a savior right um but like friendship is so minimal it's just like like you said the presence of of having somebody there um, and sometimes so I, I'll jump into I don't want to say I'll jump into people's personal business but if someone tells me that they're not feeling okay and they're feeling they'll use the word uh, depressed or in a funk I'll be like hey do you have a therapist have you spoken to a therapist before and sometimes people are like yo like stay out of my personal business yeah. right but then for the most part like no I don't like I just maybe I can't relate to my therapist because culturally they don't understand mm-hmm. and that's when I drop my Latinx therapist and be like yo <laughs> Get That's up, important get, to have. Get Marta, that get so Marta, have. Marta yeah. in Springdale who will talk to you. And, yeah. and uh, I mean, like I was telling you off air, it wasn't until last year whenever, well, early this year when I started seeing a therapist. And uh, because I don't, I don't live with depression or uh, PTSD or anything, I have anxiety, I believe, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, it has helped out a lot. So I, I try to reference, like I've passed out my therapist card to like <laughs> 20 people, you know, and they've gone and they, 
and they they've never spoken to a Latinx therapist before, so it's like a whole new world of understanding. Yeah. Like, like she's able to understand why a, a, a Mexican dad acts a certain way, you know. And 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 I think it's just important if you can't see a Latinx therapist, you know, just try with the with a the therapist. Just in general, there's mm-hmm. a lot of good folks that can help you out. Mm-hmm. And uh, but it's still a stigma in a way to kind of go to therapy. Yeah. Why is that? I mean, which. I, I, I think it's culture. I think you hit a, the nail on the head with the thinking about it in a cultural perspective. I mean, I think Dondre Jones has talked about it in the mm. black community, trying to raise awareness of mental health for black men, you know, like that it's okay to go see a therapist. I know just in my family, you know, working class, you know, white family in Northwest Arkansas, like no, none of my family saw a counselor. I, after my father died and I went to school, like in public school, like I saw a counselor like every week and I didn't know why I was going to talk to this woman mm. and just talk mm. about nothing every day until I was in fourth grade and I was put in the divorced kids group <laughs> because they didn't have, you know, like a, you lost a parent, you, but you, you lost a parent by divorce. That's what us Gen X kids, you know, like, yeah. you know, that was kind of a newer thing. People learning how to, you know, navigate family relationships. And so, um, I knew that like I was going to the counselor, but counselors were really just kind of to help you if you were fighting with your friends in my, in my mind. But so socially, I mean, my husband still, when I say, well, do you need to go talk to a counselor or a therapist? And he's like, no, I'm fine. You can go to, you can go see your counselor. (laughs) And, and our oldest um, deals with anxiety and depression, you know, and being in college and 1800 miles away, that's really hard, but finding somebody that she can talk to and who can listen to her. I just think that in families, we like to do the easy and comfortable thing. And mm. sometimes that easy and comfortable thing is just label it one thing. Let's just label it crazy and kind of put it over here in this category. Or I just need a drink. Yeah. Or I just need a drink and we're just going to cope, right? We're just yeah. finding different coping Which mechanisms. Which it does help for like 10 minutes, but yeah. after those 10 minutes and <laughs> the pain comes back, it isn't the most healthy right. way. Right. And then some something happens and the family all comes together and then you realize, you know, what issues you're dealing with. And so everybody goes back into the categories and... Um, and so I think that you're doing the right thing, like sharing your personal information. So we can ever share is like, here's my experience and it's positive. And with this person, because if we just gave out, you know, like looked in the phone book and looked up, you know, counselors or therapists, you might recommend somebody that would be awful yeah. because that person either had a personal agenda or didn't mm. really listen well or had no cultural sensitivity at all and just try to project onto, you know, like there's, a reason why you kind of want to date a few therapists maybe if you have that option you know to see who is really the right person to listen your wisdom and your truth mm-hmm. out of you yeah so if anybody wants to know about my therapist martha just let me know and i'll <laughs> definitely reference him because yeah she's good and i know there's other there's some other good ones in our community and mm-hmm. yeah i think it is important to share that information when you find a good therapist yeah like that's kind of like finding like a holographic uh, Pokemon or Yu-Gi-Oh <laughs> yeah. card. Like it's Geocache, like it's like a special, right? it's like a special, <laughs> super yeah. rare card, and it's like, yo, look, this is what I got. Like she can yeah. help you or he can help you. Yeah. And I started thinking about that lately because I don't want to keep like the good therapy for myself. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. knowing that there's so many good people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there's there's so many people out there that that uh, you know they've when I talk to them they've tried going mm-hmm. to some therapist. And they just either it was a cultural thing mm-hmm. or it was just that person didn't understand. So I feel like when you find a good therapist, um, you have to share that information. Yeah. You know, because there's other people that are needing it. When when we lived in, in Conway and I went to St. Peter's Episcopal Church there and the deacon was also a, a psychologist. And she said, if you don't have a good friend, buy one. 
Mm. And because she's like, a good friend will listen to you. Mm. And if you don't have that good friend to listen to you, then you pay for an hour for somebody to listen to you mm -hmm. because that's what a good therapist is going to do is to listen to you long enough till you say what's really at the core. Yeah. And even if it's in that last three minutes, which mm. it usually is. <laughs> you know, right. Like. <laughs> yeah. The important stuff. Hey, well, shout out to all the, all the good friends we've got out there. Shout out to Irvin because Irvin and I vent to each other quite a bit. We do. And I think, I think it was like the first few weeks that we talked. I think I told you like, like, do you need to go to therapy? We talked about that a little yeah. bit about mental health. And shout out to my wife, Myra, because she's the one that actually <laughs> got me into being aware. And I still learn. I still need to learn a lot. Like, I'm learning ter terminology, for example. People usually say, uh, you know, they commit suicide. They commit suicide. But I've learned to say, uh, die by suicide. Because, like, my wife was explaining how committing to something is, like, mm -hmm. compared to, like, dying from it. You know, it's it's terminology matters mm -hmm. you know or or when someone says what's the other what's the other phrase that that people use you lost somebody to suicide or yeah. you lost somebody mm -hmm. to gun violence or something like yeah, that you like, didn't lose them <laughs> yeah you didn't lose them or like they lost the battle right. or you know like yeah. it's like terminology matters and 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 i know that either you, you have a friend or you have a family member mm -hmm. who has these kind of thoughts so please use any kind of resources in the community, whether it being referencing people to therapy or, or just being there for, for someone the same way that you explained, Sarah, about you know, like how to approach folks and ask them to see if they do have a plan. You know, I, I have family members and friends who have, who have died by suicide, and I've seen how their, how their family hurts. Mm -hmm. And uh, the way that you approach the situation, uh, the way that you approach the person that's going through this, matters a lot you know because there can be some folks that will be like that will talk to them that will talk to the person that's going through this and say hey don't do this because your family's gonna hurt you know they're gonna be super upset if you do this you're gonna cost so much money to your family if you do this but it's like even though you might feel that you don't understand how you might be hurting the person by approaching the situation that way and um i know with with me it's still a learning process i'm, I'm pretty sure with you too manny you're still learning yeah how well to I'm, i mean like dealing it dealing with it in my own life but also just like understanding that understanding how I can be a better friend um because I am such a social person like I feel like I have to figure it out right yeah. and that's and that's not necessarily always the case it's like let me just be there let me be in that space um uh, because I know in my life when it's like when you have suicidal thoughts I always think back like Oh man, what would my friends think? Yeah. Uh, man, what would my my sister would ball her eyes out? That that yeah. type of stuff, and that's like it, it's those relationships that mm -hmm. ultimately do end up saving people. And I also want to say, like, you know, I think we touched on it earlier. I, just to wrap this up, a thought that I always have is, you know, you look at the countries that are air quotes the happiest countries on earth. It's like what what government programs are being funded um, that take away the worry and the anxiety. Um, from day-to-day -day life that would give people a happier life. Um, and those are the things that, you know, other than just being a friend, um, policy-wise, mm. what are the things that we could do to help all of our neighbors? Mm. Um, and that's my spiel. <laughs> hey. And I think it's going back, one of the most important things to just talk about basically is, hey, if someone has a mental illness, there is a reason why they're doing things the way that they're doing them. Don't think that because someone tells you that they're upset, that the solution is alcohol, that the solution is drugs. Ask them if they need to see a therapist because 
people will act a certain way based on their mental illness and they shouldn't be made to feel uh they shouldn't be shunned from society because of something that's out of their control Mm. right a lot of times let's say for example you go to a social event someone's having a panic attack and they just leave a place right or let's say that someone is at a party and they don't feel like talking to people because they're going through an uh, episode, right? And this happens a lot. And sometimes those people will be judged as being rude, uh, as, as being inconsiderate. But sometimes you have to take a step back and be like, hey, what could be happening in that person's mind that I just don't understand? Don't judge someone based on what you think by, is an assumption because that person could be going through something. And, I, and I've seen this on my own personal life. And I've, and I've talked to those people and they'll be like, yeah, I had a panic attack and I had to just leave. You know, mm-hmm. I couldn't breathe. I was just panicking and I couldn't leave. Or, you know, I just didn't feel good. Like I got, I started getting bad thoughts in my head and I needed to leave that room and I just couldn't talk to anybody. The outsider might see that person and be, oh, they're so rude. They just left without even saying bye. But take a step back. Take, get out of your bubble and think to yourself, you know, what could this person be going through? And instead of judging, approach the person and see um, how you can help them. Mm-hmm. I think that's something important to, to tell everybody. Um, but... To end this episode on a bright note, Sarah, um, what are some good uh, things that you do to take care of your mental health? Um, <laughs> I'm working on it like everybody else. It's like, okay. <laughs> I feel you on that. <laughs> over, overwhelmed. What, what do I need to do? And so um, something that I haven't done fully yet, although we, we did a little bit, is like I know that I am needing to recharge with some like woods and creek time like mm, just to get out yeah. and l- do that I forget what the word is for the Japanese therapy where you go out in the woods and just soak up the forest bath mm. and um, so just some some outside time you know maybe rent a cabin with the family just yeah. to, to unplug and detox um, limiting news intake is crucial Definitely. for everybody right now um, I have uh, family members like I watch three to four hours of news a day. And I was like, dude, that's too much. <laughs> like you can't do that to yourself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so you know, boundaries, knowing what feeds me, knowing what my boundaries are. I'm probably working too much. You know, like trying to set clear boundaries around mm. around that. Oh, that's um, a good one. It's, I need. I'm, I'm taking that one to heart. Yeah. That's a good um, one. I don't know what what hours. You know. 40 hours a week is pretty elusive when you're a priest and you don't ever like stop checking your email or checking yeah. your messages mm-hmm. or anything like that. Um, and also being more intentional about checking in on my friends because even when somebody's hurting really bad and they know they should check in with somebody and be like, I need a lifeline. Mm-hmm. Chances are they're not going to reach out, but it's the people that reach in mm-hmm. are the ones that are going to tell you after the fact, Hey, I was having a panic attack. Thank you for checking in on me. Mm-hmm. And they might be more inclined to, reach out to you if they are in a position where they they truly need help so um there was a an episcopal priest who died by suicide a couple of weeks ago in in another diocese and um and it's made our friend group you know our seminary class um stronger and more intentionally reach out to one another and be like hey we know this is a hard time right now um what are you doing that's that's life-giving you know what are you doing for your mental health and for your self-care and so, you know, reaching out to your friends, whether it's for you or for them, by the end of the conversation, you're both laughing and realize that it's been a great relief. So reach out to those people that come to mind. I, I consider the Holy Spirit whispering who you need to give a call. Yeah. So Beautiful, important. Mother Sarah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, that's so important. A text can save a life. A call can save a life. Mm-hmm. A message can save a life. So definitely reach out to your friends. 
Um, and that message goes to everybody that's listening. But thank you for joining us. Thank you for having this me. Week. This is we're, awesome. I love you guys. We appreciate <laughs> you being here. Um, and we'll have you again in the future so we can follow up and continue having this conversation about mental health because your mental health matters. Please take care of yourselves. Uh, that's the end of, of this episode, episode 66. And we'll see you all next week. Peace out.